0: Welcome to Beyond the Tools, the podcast that helps contractors attract more leads, grow their business, and finally get off the tools. In each episode, you'll discover marketing tactics that work. You'll get actionable insights from other successful contractors and connect with experts to help you grow. I'm your host, Crystal Hobbs, owner of a social media agency that helps contractors attract and convert more leads. Get ready to take your business to the next level so you can finally enjoy the fruits of your hard labor. Ready? Let's go. Hey, contractors, welcome back to Beyond the Tools. Today's topic is something that I think is totally underrated in this industry, and that is branding. Today's guest is Dan Antonelli, the president and creative director of KickCharge Creative, which is a design agency that specializes in working with home service companies. Dan went from a one-person basement shop to an award-winning 20-person home service branding agency, and they've actually created over 2,000 individual home service brands. Dan has also authored multiple books on the topic, including his brand new book, Branded Not Blanded, Kick Charge Your Home Service Brand. Now, Dan was kind enough to lend me an advance copy so that we could really dig into the topic in this interview and talk about how a good brand can not only help you to dominate your local market, it will actually help you to increase your average ticket, lower your advertising spend, and even help you to attract talent. You can now get branded not blanded, kickcharge your home service brand on Amazon, and we'll make sure all the links are in the show notes if you want to check it out. But let's head on over to chat with Dan because there is so much information here that will really help you to stand out, attract more customers, and overall improve your business. <music> I am thrilled to introduce today's guest, Dan Antonelli. Dan, thank you so much for being here.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Crystal.
0: So I'm really excited to dig into branding today. And I feel like it's it's really underrated, but it has such a big impact in terms of your growth as a company and even with recruitment and stuff, which we'll touch on today. So I've been pouring over your new book, Branded Not Blanded, kick charge your home service brand. And thank you for the advanced copy. And let me take a little sneak peek there.
1: Glad you liked it.
0: So, you know, when I talk to a lot of home service business owners, a lot of times they see branding as an expense and not really an investment necessarily into the business. So, Why do you think branding is so important and how can it make an actual impact on your growth? Yeah, I
1: think people sort of misunderstand how it affects everything. Um, So we look at branding as really the foundation for their marketing. Um, So if you can get the branding done well and done in a manner that communicates all the right things. Um. Then the rest of your marketing is just going to work that much better. Um, so everything from you know your 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 digital strategy to um, how it affects even just average tickets and being able to charge more. You know the whole idea of what what brands do is to really try to control what a consumer feels and believes about your company before you actually are there to perform a service. So if we can have them believe that your company is more professional, more knowledgeable, uh, better trained, uh, will be around a long time if something goes, all those sort of values, then the consumer feels better about the experience. They feel better about maybe if you are priced higher than someone else. They feel there's a reason why maybe you were priced uh, at, at that point. So we're really trying to control what they believe about a company before they get there and ring the doorbell. And then after they ring the doorbell, then you kill it on servers, you kill it on 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 how you work in their homes and all those other best practices, I'm looking more so at how do I set the expectation of what that deliverable would be if they chose to do business with you. Um, so that's really you know the basis of really what we do is really try to create an impression of the company before you have the opportunity to get there. And we also try to create brands that are unique and disruptive and sticky so that the impressions that are repeated over time throughout the community mainly through truck wraps and things like that will have people remembering your name when they actually need service so on the digital side like we talk about winning on the streets and the concept of winning on the streets is just rooted in the idea that instead of somebody you know having to go google and type in heating repair near me or heating repair in a zip code or something like that do they actually just type in the name of that service vehicle that they continue to see in their community and the impression that it left in their mind. So we see a lot of really great results, even from organic searches and branded search terms increase dramatically because people know the name of your company now. So instead of blending into the community with, you know, a white van like everyone else has got, you know, you do something that's more unique, more memorable, and that of course you hope will be in their minds when they actually need service.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure at Kick Charge you've looked at hundreds, thousands of brands. What do you think most businesses get wrong when it comes to their brand?
1: Um, they get a lot wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a lot of times I think they're not also keeping in mind who the target is, right? So so women comprise probably 70 to 80% of the decision-making in a typical home, right? So brands need to communicate to them. They need to address their concerns, their feelings, their emotions, um, and their worries, right? So the, the thing about, you know, even just controlling that first impression, like you see sometimes guys use mascots and and they'll have a mascot that is like super muscled and the guy's running towards you and he's carrying like a pipe wrench in his hand. And honestly, he looks like he's going to beat the hell out of somebody, <laughs> you know? And so you're already sort of communicating something that is off-putting, right? So you're putting a message out there that may make a woman feel at ease about the prospect of actually hiring you. So those are really important aspects to consider. So it's not about even what the owner likes. It's not about what appeals to him or her. It's, it's about what appeals to that target audience. So I think a lot of owners get it in their head that they have to like, like they're the audience. And it's like, no, like it's an audience of one. Let's think about the audience of all these people that really are the buyers of your service. And what does it look and feel to them about the experience they might get if they hired you? So I think a lot of people, when they started their company, did it the cheapest way possible. You know, they bought a van and then they had, you know, a local guy do a real quick logo or a clip art logo. And then they got out and they started doing it and they started growing, um, but they never kind of fixed that deficiency. Um, And so sometimes you have this mentality, too, that as they've grown, that sort of perpetuates the myth that they should continue doing exactly what they've been doing. Right. So like, oh, why would I change now? Because I've been successful using the same logo for all these years. And, And we always look at it and say, well, dude, like, imagine how much more success you would have had if you actually had a better brand you know, and what that have meant for so many other different things, not just revenue, but, you know, again, recruitment culture, there's there's so many other aspects that it plays plays a role in. But, you know, a lot of the clip art logos you see, um, it's really not communicating, you know, the things that are, you know, really important for that consumer. So we really want to make sure that they feel something positive about who you are before you get there.
0: Mm. So we talk about a brand that is memorable, and that you know, sets, thinks about your customer and what they're looking for and sets them at ease and gives them a good feeling. And there are all sorts of other elements of a good brand that I know we're going to get into as we chat here. But how does that make an actual effect on like what you spend for your marketing? Is it, have you seen a difference when it's a compelling brand versus a brand that does blend in?
1: Absolutely. The, the biggest, you know, it's, it's kind of funny sometimes because you hear on, on different Facebook forums and, and owners groups and things like that. And guys will talk about how much money they need to spend to grow and what what the um, marketing spend should be as a percentage of revenue. And you see guys saying, oh, well, if you really want to grow, you need to be spending 10, 12, 15 percent to really grow you know, a lot of times, you know, I'll, I'll stalk their their Facebook profile and kind of look at the company that they work for. And, you know, I'll see something that really does not function well. And and the trunks are, trucks are a mess or the, the logo's a mess. And, and I'm like, well, that's why you're spending 12% or 10%. Like, so we have so many examples of companies that are spending less than 4% of revenue and, you know, doubling every year and things like that. So like, even like one, one client out that we did in in Jacksonville, Florida for Bueller air, you know, has gone from like 2.4 to 12 million in like three years spending less than 4% of revenue. So how did that happen? Um, Why would that even, that doesn't work for most contractors, but why did it work here? And it's like, well, we basically made it a household name. We made his brand so sticky. And so, you know, that's something that has, uh, we've really seen affect the overall spend. So, you know, it's just more obvious as well, too, as far as even just leveraging the power of the trucks. So the trucks out in your community, first of all, are the cheapest impressions you can buy. Okay, so if you look at the dollars it costs per impression for a vehicle wrap as compared to online, as compared to billboards themselves, you will not find a cheaper, more cost effective means to advertise your business. The problem is, is most truck wraps suck. They're awful. So getting that part right is huge because every one of those impressions is doing so much heavy lifting for your brand. And when they're done well, they really do stand out in the marketplace, especially among a sea of so many poorly executed wraps that don't integrate brand properly, that are illegible. You you know, using the you know, if you're a HVAC guy, using you know, sun and snowflake clip art and and red and blue arrows like. You know again as a consumer why do i care about that what, what how is that even speaking to me what kind of inferred brand promise do i get from that um so so all those aspects again if i can succeed in getting the consumer to um have your brand be sticky in their minds then when it's time for service that's who they'll remember to call um so you think about how much money and how much uh, how expensive it is for LSA and and pay per click and, and all those other aspects, um, and you're fighting among a sea of other people. Uh, so I would rather people just type in your name, of course, rather than heating repair or you know plumbing repair, whatever the case may be, and, and a zip code. And, and now now you're fighting on SEO, you're fighting on all these other other channels and all these other competitors. So if I can win the heart and mind of the consumer um, at the street level, then it's going to make the spend a lot less, or you'll need to spend a lot less um, than you would,
0: you know? Yeah. So when you talk about winning on the streets, can we break that down a little bit? Like, so, you know, we want to stand out. You want a brand that's sticky. What are some of the things that you look at to accomplish that?
1: Certainly, you look at color as a really unique aspect that you have to be concerned about. So when we rebrand the company or brand the new company, we want to research what that market looks like. So what other companies are in that particular space? What do their brand colors look like? What do their trucks look like? What are their brand approaches like are they mascot driven are they icon driven sort of what is the unique and compelling story that any of the those competitors are telling and then you have to basically look to do something that's very different and you have to say okay well if there's and in most markets you'll find you know so many of the companies just using red and blue right as as their primary brand color, especially in the hvac space so we almost never recommend red and blue as primary brand colors because Not only can you not own it from a competitive landscape, um, you can't own it just because of its association with Americana and other aspects of it. So we tend to look at color as as again another way to disrupt. So if you're a consumer and you're seeing a sea of red and blue, red and blue bands, or even just all white bands, what what would happen if you saw like an orange and apple green band? Well, that suddenly now looks different than what everyone else is doing. So therefore, it's more likely that it may be memorable and and Um, the book purple cow talks a lot about that idea as far as like you're on the countryside and you see the first cow and that's super cool but then 20 miles later there's thousands of cows and and now they all blend and you don't even recognize them or bother to look at them anymore and so that's sort of the same theory as far as um, you know looking at how you can stand out in that market and and the key to that too is it's not just actually putting out a you know, a purple van with polka dots, it's it's that's step one, right? So so the disruption is step one, but the message it delivers is step two. And that's where a lot of guys get that wrong too. And they'll try to do something where you might recognize it or you might notice it. It may, it may cause you to look, but it doesn't deliver promise. It doesn't deliver an expectation that is favorable of that particular service. So that's the part where we really try to make sure that not only is it disruptive, but it also delivers an expectation of great service. Um, mm. So, like I said, you know, yeah, you could put a pink van in polka dots and people would say, I, I see your van all the time. But saying you see your van all the time isn't really the benchmark. It's just part of the benchmark. It's what does the van say about your company is the other aspect. And so many really get that part wrong because, um, you know, they'll try to do something disruptive. Maybe they'll succeed at that. But then I think the company is going to be cheap. They're going to be out of business next year. They're not going to deliver a premium service. And I'm not willing to pay a higher price for their service. So mm-hmm. that's the part where, again, trying to control all aspects of that perception from that initial impression that a consumer may see out on the street. So if you see that van parked on your neighbor's driveway, you already, you're already you already forming impressions of what that neighbor may be getting. Mm-hmm. Like, are they cheap? Like if it's a white van with a with a magnetic sign, they're getting cheap. Right. But it, if it's a you know a really wrapped premium looking brand, it's like, oh, wow, they must be putting in a really nice system. Like that's the way people think, you know, yeah. it's just it's biased. Like it's just the way it works, you know, so how do we counteract bias and even bias against contractors in general, because most home consumers are worried about not being treated fairly. And And, you know, I don't know if I need a capacitor to fix my air conditioning unit or if I need a whole new unit right? So like, how do I make that consumer feel and trust that that contractor is is delivering something of value that they're honest, that they're ethical? Those are all the aspects of the consumer psychology behind the brand that we're really trying to essentially control
0: as Mm -hmm. best we can. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. So if I own a home service company, and I'm hearing you, Dan, I'm like, uh, you know what? Maybe I should look at rebranding. When do I know that this is something I need to do for my company?
1: The owners have to take a hard look and say, "Does this brand represent us? Is this who we really are today?" Um, and I think that that's that's really the basis of a lot of rebrands that we that we do is that the service that they provide inside the home doesn't match the expectation that the customer has before they get there. So they may get there, they get the job, and they wow them with great service. But if they were to be judged solely on how they looked prior to arriving there, I don't necessarily get that. So it's awesome that they leave and they killed it and they did a great job. That's awesome. But I want them to feel that before you get there. Uh, You know, I don't want you to have to prove yourself. I mean, you're going to have to prove yourself anyway, but I'd rather the consumer believe that you are a provider of a premium service. And so that part is really being introspective for the owner. You look at inwardly and and say, first of all, from a recruitment perspective, does this even look like a place that I would want to work at, right? So am I going to be proud to wear this uniform? Am I going to be proud to drive this, this wrapped truck? Um, does my brand help communicate the values that this company believes in and stands for? Um, so there's, there's aspects of that too, where you have to just stop and kind of look and just say, is this really who we are today? And, you know, even for myself, like we rebranded and renamed my agency, um, almost five years ago, we used to be called graphic designs. It was graphic D dash signs and twenty. 3 years prior to it it seemed like a good idea at the time um but it wasn't who we were and right. and and who we had become so i i had to do that as well i had to take a hard look and and that, that was hard too because you know you sort of like well we've been successful with it like why do we change i'm like wait a minute that's what i tell everyone else that they shouldn't be thinking about right um so going through that for us was was actually a great thing i'm so glad we we did it um and it helped us on so many different levels but It was the same thing. Like it wasn't who we were anymore. And yes, we could have gone on doing what we were doing with it, but it just, it just wasn't, it wasn't us anymore. So, so that's kind of the same thing. Um, And that's hard because that, that old brand is that warm blanket for most owners. That's what they have comfort in because they know they've used it to get to where they are today. Mm -hmm. So it takes guts to say, I am going to pivot and essentially sort of not throw away, but basically start with a new brand and refresh and, and do that. And, and a lot of companies never get to that point. And, it's, and it is largely because it's a comfort level. Um, and so it's very easy to tell yourself, well, uh, there's no reason to change because look at how much success we've had with what we have. And like I said, I always look at it and say, well, yeah, it's admirable. Like, I think it's amazing how successful you've been with that brand, right? Because it's awful. (laughs) (laughs) You know, imagine where you would have been if you had better tools, if you had better marketing tools, if you had a better foundation for all your other campaigns. And if you had a legitimate brand story, even like brand story as a concept, you know, most most home service contractors have literally no brand story. If you were to ask them to identify what is what is what's unique and compelling about using our service and they may throw out some, you know, generic stuff. Oh, well, we're we're honest and ethical and our work is 100% guaranteed. Like like dude, at this point everybody's work is like 100% guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Like that's like total BS as far as what the consumer wants to hear. Like they've heard it all before and it, it's kind of meaningless at this point. Yeah. So Some of these companies legitimately have no brand story. There's no compelling reason. Um, So what do we do? How do we overcome that? We just spend more money. Like we spend more money on marketing, just trying to hammer something to get people to remember to use us. So I'd rather start with the idea that there is a compelling reason why consumers should use your company and then build and craft a message and a brand story around that ideal.
0: Mm. And Dan, I know we've talked... And you talk a lot about a good business name in your book Mm -hmm. as well. This is an industry where a lot of people are using initials or their last name. If you're looking at rebranding, a name is always a good place to start. So what does a good business name look like?
1: You know, this is, again, a very sensitive subject for a lot of owners because maybe it's a last name brand. Uh, or worse, an initial-based brands. Initial-based brands are absolutely the hardest names to get sticky in people's mind, 100%. Um, you know, TJS, plumbing, what does that mean to me? Like, what's the visual that comes to mind with that? Um, how does that make me feel? Well, it doesn't make me feel anything. Like, why would I ever remember it? And then how do I associate visuals to make people remember something like that? So, again, it becomes something where we have to spend more because it's not something that's memorable. Mm-hmm. Um, so this year, I think we'll probably rename, I don't know, maybe 40 or 50 companies, I would say. Um, and we, you know, we've done it probably probably about 75 times or so. I would say we've probably renamed um, companies. Um, we have never experienced a net loss in revenue subsequent to renaming any company that we've mm-hmm. done. Um, so people always, you know, are, are worried about that, and it's a legitimate worry. Like you should be worried about, you know, what what may happen with that. Uh, but if it's rolled out and done in the right manner, um, you know, it's always been net growth after. Um, so what what makes a good name? Like so, uh, names that that spur a visual in your mind. Those typically tend to be very sticky and very easy to remember. Uh, names that are easy to spell. Um, that's also like some of these last name brands you speak the name on, let's say, a radio ad, and the consumer still doesn't know how to actually spell it. Like, yeah. like I want to say that's marketing 101, um, but there's still a lot of companies that have names that you don't know how to spell. Um, so that's kind of problematic when it comes to your online strategy. Um, so names like that, um, names that also have an inferred brand promise uh, are also superior. So if I simply say the name, I will imagine that the service that they would provide will be superior. So so like Air Experts sounds like a much better qualified company than TJS Heating and Air does
0: mm-hmm. just yeah. by
1: its very name. So any name that can deliver brand promise just from the basis of its name itself um, is going to be easier to uh, assign a brand promise to. Um, so that's why last name brands are really difficult. So some, some people might say, well, been, we've been in the community for 25 years. And that's a little bit of a different issue than I'm starting an HVAC company next week and I want to use my last name. Yeah. Uh, well, now it's going to take a really long time for people in your community to associate your last name with a specific brand promise. Um, so you can do it. And there's obviously, there's plenty of companies that have last name based brands. Uh, They're doing very well. Um, but it, it takes so long for people to assign a value to that last name, rather than starting with a name that already has a value. So I, I always say I'd rather start with something that has a value because I don't I'll have to wait years for people to establish my reputation. I could start right away and people start feeling something about that that deliverable. So so naming is you know naming is uh, it's it's challenging doing naming. It's it's really hard. Um, there's trademark things that have to be dealt with and worked out, and you have to make sure that, that um, it's done in a very uh, strategic manner when you roll out a new name. Uh, we've seen names that are also just so generic, and that works against you. Um, like, for example, uh, a name that is actually a search term. So, like, you know, we, we just renamed a company that does um, garage doors, and it was called, you know, the garage door company and like that was very generic in the sense that you could type that in or you could type in garage door company and then you'll have all these other competitors trying to beat you on that keyword and I'm like that's your name of your company so so generic names like that also really hurt you from an online perspective because mm. if, if somebody's searching it they're not only just going to get your name they're going to get dozens of other people that are vying for that keyword so like you know again so it's like if your name is a keyword search term probably not a good idea because, you know, you're not, you know, it's too generic to to, uh, show up in branded search terms.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And and I think that's something that not a lot of businesses think about, especially with the generic side of things and how that plays out. I know you have one example in your book of a brand you guys did for Totally Awesome, Mm
1: -hmm. which
0: I thought was a brilliant example of like, what to do? Can yeah. you like walk us through a little bit, like why that worked? Um, you know,
1: listen that w- that was a name that we pitched, and I remember pitching it to the owner, and um, th- this this the owner was just like very much. I-, I think the best relationships we have with clients are ones when they really really trust us, right? And they and they really believe in what we do, and and uh, but I wasn't sure he was ready for it. You know, because honestly, it takes guts to do that because like you look at more traditional names for HVAC companies and, and that's out there. Like that's not like a mainstream kind of idea. Yeah. Um, so I remember pitching it to him and I'm just like, listen, you know, are you ready for this? Like, can you handle this? Um, and he's like, yeah, I'm totally into it and I'm totally on board with it. And then we wrote the tagline for him and we knew that the rap itself was going to be thematic. Um, and that we were going to have like this mascot with the turtle and everything. And, and he's crushing it. Like he's doing so well, he's, he's in Florida and it's just such a fun name. Um, but it's a disruptive name, so it's not an expected name. And so, um, you know, really connecting well with women demographics, the kids are all pointing to it and, you know, um, and, and they're getting mascots made of the actual turtle. And, and so there's all, all really cool aspects of that, that, that are are working out, but, it certainly doesn't feel like every other HVAC company, and, and sometimes, like that's that's something that we hear as an objection is like, well, you know, it doesn't look like what everybody else is doing. And I'm like, bingo, that's exactly yeah. what we're that's what we're going for. Is we don't want to look like every other HVAC company, uh, but the natural inclination of some owners is to sort of go back to that safe space because they see what everyone else has been doing, and then we're coming in and saying, if they're all doing that, we're going to go the other way. And so, again, it's that comfort level. It's, it's like having the guts to go sort of zig when everyone else is zagging kind of idea, if
0: mm-hmm. that makes sense. Absolutely. I love that. And that's a great example. So anybody listening right now, you need to go check out the book so you can see what the Turtly Awesome brand looks like. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. We did their website, too. It's a pretty cool website. And again, the website, if you read the website, it's fun to read. Like most HVAC websites are not fun to read. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're written for an SEO perspective or they're written for like an algorithm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, Mrs. Jones doesn't really take any, you know, interest in reading anything like that. But like the wording on that website is is really, it's funny, like it's fun to read. Like we in, we infused the story into the wording. Um, so I think that's another aspect too, that like you see a lot of generic websites that, you know, again, from a company that doesn't have any any real story or a compelling message to send, they all sound the same. Mm. They'll say the same stuff. Um, so when you go on a site like that and you read the words, it's almost like you want to read more of it because it's, you know, our writers love to use a lot of puns and things like that. So it's kind of fun to read. So they get a, you know, a, again, a very good sense of personality. So you, you go on a site like that and then the, 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 they come to your home to perform service I don't think you're setting the expectation that this is a company that's coming here to rip me off. Yeah. You know, it's like, here's a company that's really fun. They're very astute in what they do, but they're doing it in a way that makes me feel comfortable um, with, with the service. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's a great example. Like I, you know, like I said, um, working with him was just really fun. And, uh, you know, probably one, one of my favorites that we've done. And that was, that was, that was a, a new company that, that had started out there. They were previously called King, I think they're called King Heating and Air or something, something like Like, I can't even remember what they were called, which shows that it wasn't really a good name to begin with.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, nice work on that one. So, Dan, I know most of our conversation today has been around how a good brand can affect how consumers feel about your company. But I know you said one of the surprising things is how it can affect your culture and your team. So tell us a little bit about the importance of branding when it comes to the internal company. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And, and I'm going to use an example of a company that we renamed and, and, and rebranded um, in upstate New York. They were previously called, um, and this is the problem: it was TJM Mechanical, T something mechanical, right? So they were they were uh, focused on commercial, and they wanted to move into residential. Um, and we renamed them Grasshopper. Okay, and we learned about grasshoppers and the fact that grasshoppers actually can only move forward. And so the tagline "Forward is a way of life" became not just a tagline externally, but internally as well. Um, and from a cultural perspective, that has been a really huge part of their success. Um, and they and they've gone from I think again less than a hundred thousand in revenue for residential. So I think they're projecting four or five million dollars eighteen months later. So really crazy results, crazy numbers. Um, And it's and and her ability to attract talent has become so easy or much easier. Like she had people like once they launched that brand coming to her seeking employment instead of her trying to have to advertise to to attract people. And then once they got there and understood how this idea of forward is a way of life, that's really something that um, has driven, I think, their success. Because it's not just about, you know, delivering great service. It, It is about sort of the idea that everything we do as a company is meant to not only move the company forward, but to move our people forward as well. To make them better, to help improve their lives, to help improve um, their financial situation, all those aspects of it. Um, and so, I think a lot of owners look at brands or rebranding as something that is is meant to be um, external in nature. And and for a large part, certainly it is. Um, but what we find and hear later on is that they didn't really fully understand from a cultural perspective how much it was going to change their internal culture. So it sort of becomes this inflection point and it sort of changes the trajectory of the company and recruitment becomes easier for sure. Retention becomes easier. And, you know, of course you have to live up to the values that this new brand is, is exuding. And I think you have to have, always have great leadership to instill those values, uh, but it certainly does help s- shape or reshape culture. Um, and give them an idea of really what the mission is, and so a lot of the launches when they when they launch a new brand really becomes an opportunity for the leadership to speak about the direction that the company is headed and why the rebrand was necessary, and then of course what it means for them as an employee. Uh, so there's there's all those aspects too that that are sort of the hidden or or not so visible initial um, results that happen after a rebrand. But you know you, you talk to a company. You know, usually a year year or so later, and and that's a big thing that they they all seem surprised about as far as what it's done internally. Because you you know you hear companies a common complaint, and I'm not saying that this is always true, but you know certainly a common complaint is we can't find any good people. No one wants to work here. No one wants to work hard or whatever the case may be. We can't find anyone. And then again, you 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 view what they're presenting, and you say, well, I wouldn't want to work there either. You know, like it doesn't look like a place I want to work at, whether it's just dated branding, dated trucks, you know, uniforms I don't want to wear, like any of those things, they're all going to play a role in that. So sometimes, again, that inward uh, being introspective and saying, well, is it a place I want to work at? You know, you work at walk into our office here and see the way that we've branded our space and the setup that we have. And, you know, it's it's really nice. It's a, It looks like a place I want to work at. and. That plays a big role. Like when you walk into the the conference room of an HVAC company, like all oh, the walls branded—is there messaging about the vision? Is there messaging, you know, about you know who we are as a company, what we believe in, what our values are? Like all those things, are, are any of those things there, or is it just like all oh, white walls and you know it's pretty bland? And so you know the wall wraps has become like a really big part of our business too because we we love it after we do the brand that we get to design some of these wall wraps. So that w- when people walk into the space, they're immersed in the brand as well. And um, you know, again, I think if you're you're a potential employee and you walk into a space and you interview in a conference room that that has these messaging, you're going to walk away with a you know a, a feeling about this company and
0: and what they stand for. Absolutely, and I think especially given the labor shortage and all the challenges that all companies and the trades are facing. This is such an important piece that I don't think many people even realize. So I think that's amazing to see how it's impacted some of your clients with their recruitment and retention. So Dan, I know that there is so much we could cover here and you go a lot deeper in your book when it comes to these concepts. So, Where can our listeners learn more about the book, connect with you, and learn more about Kick Charge Creative? Sure.
1: Well, the book should be available, hopefully, um, mid to late September. Uh, It'll be on Amazon. It'll be on Kindle. It'll be on iBooks. And you can always actually get the book on our website, too, at kickcharge.com. And if you want to learn more about us, obviously, you could go to that same address, too, and learn more about what we do.
0: Amazing. Thank you, Dan. And we'll put all of those links in our show notes as well to make it easy to connect with you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been such a value packed episode and I really, really appreciate you being on the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Crystal.
0: Hey guys, just wanted to say thank you again for listening to beyond the tools. I love hearing from our listeners and knowing what topics, what guests, what's resonating with you from these episodes. So if you want to share your feedback, please do so you can DM me at reflective marketing on Instagram, Facebook, we're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok, wherever you want to so at reflective marketing. And if you are enjoying the show, please go ahead and leave us a review. It really, really helps us out to spread the word to other contractors about our podcast. So thank you so much again.